0: Hey, we're in week two of our uh, series called Choose Joy, and we're looking at a particular book in the Bible called Philippians, and we're talking about how can we increase joy in our life. Now, for many people, they think that joy is connected to happiness. The more happy I am, the more joy that there is in my life. But even those of you who are naturally like optimistic and you're very extroverted and you have that way of seeing everything through rose colored glasses and life is good, even you realize that it is impossible, it's unrealistic to be happy all the time. You see, joy is different from happiness because joy is not necessarily a feeling as much as it is this supernatural gift that God gives to us, that regardless of the circumstances that are going on in our life, that we can live in joy. Now, as a way of review, uh, I want us to look at our uh, particular definition of joy that we talked about last week. It'll come up on the side screen, and uh, this is your first fill-in, so you can fill in in your program or, if you want, on our app. But our uh, definition is this. Joy is the assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life and that ultimately everything is going to be alright so I will praise God in every situation. You see, again, joy is this supernatural gift that reminds us that God is in control regardless of what's going on in our lives. Now the only problem with this thing called uh, life is that there are joy killers. There are these killers that come into our life that want to suck the joy actually out of us. And sometimes those are choices that we make, and other times it's people who suck the joy right out of us. Now, one of my favorite movies of all time is uh, National Lampoon's Vacation. Anybody else love that one? Okay. Well, you don't have to clap for it. I mean, you know, clap for God, don't clap for Chevy Chase. But anyways, this uh, particular movie is a story about the Griswolds who go on a cross-country trip all the way to Southern California to a place called Wally World, which is kind of like uh, Disneyland, this big amusement park. And during the family's travel, there are numerous joy killers that take place. They wreck their car multiple times. They come into St. Louis and all the hubcaps get stolen off of it. And there is all of this that takes place. Their dog dies. Their aunt dies. They lose all of their money and their credit cards. And the entire family is on the verge of collapse when finally they get to Wally World. And you think at that point that the movie's going to switch and everything's going to be great because now they're there and things will be made right and there will be this real sense of family reconciliation and life will be put back together in a joyful way. And so as they approach Wally World, check out this clip. Ah, one's here. First one's here. First one's here. But we're so far away, Clark. Right, right. And at the end of the day, when the lot's all full and everybody's fighting to get out of here, we'll be the first ones out, too, right? Why? Because we're the Griswolds. (laughs) Come on, I'll race you. Sorry, folks, we're closed for two weeks to clean and repair America's favorite family fun park. Sorry. Uh 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 What? (coughs)
1: Clark,
0: what are you doing? We watch his program. Buy his toys. We go to his movies. He owes us. Doesn't he owe us? Huh? He owes the Griswolds, right? Clark, you're scaring me. Don't be scared. I just think somebody owes us an explanation. That's all. Come on, come on, come on, Clark. <laughs> I figure it was Memorial Day weekend. You all, if you came to church today, you deserve some Griswold family magic. Um, have you ever had that experience before, though, where you get someplace and it's closed, like? Maybe you go to a sporting event. A couple years ago, I went to the IU basketball game and I was so excited and we get there and they tell us it's closed because there was rain that was going through and there had been some paneling that had fallen down. Do you remember that? It was like ready to kill them, you know, or uh, you go to a rock concert and uh, you're there and, you know, all of a sudden they're like, Uh oh. they got held up. We got to close the concert. Or uh, maybe you've had this experience before. You go to a restaurant and you order your food. And then 15 minutes later, they come back and they tell you, we don't have any more of what you want to order. For example, I went to Bob Evans about a month ago and I ordered broasted chicken and mashed potatoes. What is Bob Evans known for? Broasted chicken and mashed potatoes. They come to my table and they tell me, we're all out of both. I'm like, are you serious? You know, I was going to do some Griswold on him. Um, or you go to the BMV and you're sitting there and all of a sudden you have all the paperwork that you think you need, including your last, you know, blood work uh, to give to them. And you walk up there and you actually hand everything over and they're like, we're sorry you're missing one paper and you'll have to come back tomorrow. You're like, are you serious? You know, well, all those things are annoyances in life. They're irritations. They might be a big frustration to you and I. But the reality is, I don't think they're joy killers. Because the reality is, there are joy killers that we experience that are much bigger and greater than this. For example, I think of uh, one of our friends who uh, just this week uh, found out their their seven-month-old daughter died in her sleep. That's a joy killer, isn't it? How do you ever put things back together again after that? Or you think about... um, A marriage. You think the marriage is going okay. Maybe it's not so great, but you fight every once in a while, but it's not too bad. And finally they walk in one day and they say, I'm done. I'm walking out. And you don't see it coming at all. And it's a joy killer. Or maybe you're uh, connected to someone in your family who's been battling some type of addiction, but they've been telling you all along that they're clean. And they're not using drugs or they're not dealing with porn or they're not dealing with alcohol and you find out it's been an entire lie and it's a joy killer. Or you think about uh, your kids. You let them take your car for the very first time to go out and they go out and uh, for some reason they decide to pick up some friends along the way. They get some alcohol. They all get busted for a DUI and the trust is broken and it's a joy killer. Some people think that well, maybe I'm single and finally I get a relationship and the relationship seems so good and all of a sudden in a couple of months the person tells you I'm just not that into you and you thought that was the one and it's a joy killer. I think of people who go to a doctor for a routine visit. They go into the doctor, the visit's there, everything seems fine, they go back home. They ask you to come back in because they had some concerns and then they find out within a period of time that you have cancer and it's in the fourth stage and it's terminal. That's a joy killer. Can anybody relate to any of these? I mean, those things in your life that you don't plan but it just like sucks the joy out of you either because of other people Some of your choice or something that just kind of broadsides you. Well, the good news is, is that you and I are not alone when it comes to experiencing joy killers. That throughout time it's happened and Paul actually gives us some wisdom as we've been looking at this letter in Philippians on how to overcome some of these joy killers. Now, the biggest one that he gives to us is suffering. (laughs) Doesn't that make sense? Maybe one of the greatest joy killers that you and I experience is suffering. Let's look at chapter 1, verse 12. Or, uh, yeah, chapter 1, verse 12. And we need to remember that Paul is writing from Rome and he's in jail. He's on house arrest. And he's writing back to uh, the people in Philippi, which is in Greece. And he writes these words. He says, now I want you to know, in other words, he's like, hey, listen up, folks, brothers and sisters. That means everyone who's a follower of Christ, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, the question becomes, what has happened to Paul? Well, He's in Jerusalem and he's sharing the good news of Christ to anyone and everyone that he knows when all of a sudden there are some religious leaders who are not happy with Paul, the guy who wrote over half of the New Testament. And they're not happy with him and they actually have him arrested and he's sent to jail. He sits in jail for two years until finally... He appeals to Rome because he's a Roman citizen. And he says, I want Rome to decide my fate. And so he's sent on a ship to go to trial in Rome. Now, on this ship, he is chained to another guard. And as they're going to Rome, they have a shipwreck. The whole thing blows up like the Titanic, and they're just gone. And for three days and three nights, he's treading water in the Mediterranean Sea, fearing for his life. He finally is kind of drifted into a small island called Malta. And while he's there, he gets bit by a snake. So it's about as bad as it can get. But anyway, they say, Paul, you still have to go to Rome to be on trial. And so he gets on another ship and he gets to Rome. Now, this is just to say this. Out of everything that I just told you, there's a whole lot in this little verse in verse 12 that says this. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that... What has happened to me? Well, there was a lot, folks. There was a lot that had happened to him. I have a feeling that some of you are sitting there today and there's a lot going on in your life. You're going through some tough stuff. Maybe it's something with your health or the health of a parent or the health of a friend. Maybe it's financially you're struggling with something. Maybe it's a relational struggle that you're dealing with but you're going through some tough things and the reality is is that your world has been turned upside down and you're just wondering can I make it through you're so glad that it's a memorial day weekend because you don't have to think about all of it until you have to get back to work maybe on Tuesday but it's so present in your life but you know what even in your suffering God knows God knows, and God cares, and He loves you, and He wants to take care of your need. God knows that He can give you joy, even in your suffering, if you'll let Him. I mean, do you think that Paul, on his uh, whole like year plan, was thinking, Oh, you know what? I want to get arrested and thrown into jail. That's what I want. Do you think he was actually like, hey, I can't wait to get on a ship so I can be shipwrecked and be out in the middle of the Mediterranean? Do you think he was excited about suffering 101 that he was having to take? No, none of that. Do you think he was disappointed? Absolutely. I mean, he had been so faithful to God. He had given his one and only life to God. And it was just like suffering after suffering after suffering he experienced. But why did he make this choice to keep doing it? Why? Well, the text says that he was doing it for a particular reason. And your next fill-in, I'd like you to fill in this phrase. I will choose joy over suffering. That you just make a conscious choice that regardless of what I'm going through, I don't have to be happy about it, but I can have joy in the midst of it. That God is in control of the details of my life, and ultimately he's going to make everything all right. But why did Paul make this choice? This overcoming, this overcoming choice. Well, in verse 12... It says that he was advancing something. He was advancing what? What was he advancing? The gospel. And that word gospel simply means the good news of Jesus to other people. That he was wanting to let anyone and everyone know that if they want a relationship with him, it doesn't matter what your past is. You have a present with him and he wants to give you a new life. Folks... The whole reason why the jar exists is for us to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to other people. That regardless of the sins of your past or the mistakes that you've had, that God wants to give you a new opportunity. This is the cool thing about God. He gives second chances and third chances and fourth chances and hundredth and thousandth and millionth chances because he wants a relationship with us so badly. And so then, we gladly, even when we experience suffering, it's okay because there is joy for what Christ gives to us. Verse 13, Paul says, As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard, And to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, when you think of him being in jail, don't think of a dungeon or don't think about bars. He's actually on house arrest in Rome, and he's chained to another uh, guard for this entire time. So he's the one who's the criminal and he's chained to a palace guard. And how do we know this? 24 hours a day. Well, Acts 28, it says this. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house. So he had to have a house. And then he welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. So here, Paul is in chains 24-7 with a palace guard. And I think uh, actually having to have to go through that experience of being chained to Paul for 24 hours a day would be overwhelming. How many of you have a friend that when they uh, tell you about something, they tell it with passion to the fullest extent and they are telling you, you've got to be a part of this. Or if they're selling something, you've got to buy this. Okay? Okay. Well, this was kind of the personality of Paul. But he wasn't selling anything. He wasn't uh, doing anything except being chained to a guard, and they would have these shifts. So maybe eight hour shifts, 12 hour shifts, 24 hour shifts. New guards would come in. They would be chained to Paul. He's with them for whatever that period amount of time is. And this is what Paul would be saying the entire time Hey, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You know what? I love the gospel. I love Jesus. Would you like to hear about it? No? That's all right. We'll be together for a long time. A couple hours later, hey, you know what? I'm still not ashamed about the gospel. Would you like to know a little bit more about Jesus? Oh, no? That's all right. I'll be here a long time. Finally, when you get to 342, you know, days of being with Paul, and the whole time he's like, hey... I'm still not ashamed of the gospel. I'll let you know if you'd like to know. Would you like to know more about Jesus? Let me tell you. And you're chained in this guy for two years. And that's all he's telling you. Now, come back to what it says in this passage of Scripture. Let's read it again. What kind of impact do you think this would have made? This is what it did. As a result... It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. By physical stature, she wasn't much. Four foot ten, less than a hundred pounds. She had no social status. She was single her entire life. She was born in a small uh, country called Albania. At the age of eight, her father died. Her mother had very little wealth whatsoever and was barely able to uh, care for her. She had a very basic level of education and she was never around powerful people. Yet from the 1970s until her death in 1997, she was considered the most influential person in the history of the 20th century. This person had popes and presidents and prime ministers that would wait on her to have time with her. She won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1979. And the woman that I'm referring to is who? Mother Teresa. But this is what you need to know about this woman too. Her life was not easy. She endured... Tons of suffering from people who never wanted her to go and start this mission in India, was rejected time after time after time and then with her own health she suffered. In 1985, she suffered a heart attack while she was visiting with the Pope. In 1989, she suffered another heart attack and they implanted a pacemaker into her. In 1991, she suffered from malaria, chest infection, and she underwent another heart surgery, and they thought she would never come out of it. At the very end of her life, they took a picture of her feet, and this is what her feet looked like. They were deformed and distorted. And this picture of suffering and servanthood gave some of the greatest joy to millions upon millions of people in India. Folks, Mother Teresa went through some very hard times. And today, we learn that Paul is in prison and he's going through a lot of hard times as well. But neither of them were willing to give up their joy for this. Because the reality is, even in the midst of their suffering, they knew that God was using it for a greater purpose and that it would be seen. Verse 14 says this. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters, that is those who are Christ followers, have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. You see, what happened was, Paul possessed something that was so great that when people would look at his life, they would be like, well, Paul's in prison, and he's more than likely going to be executed, and yet he's chained to these guards, and everyone knows that he's chained to Christ, and people are coming to Christ because of him. How could I not choose to be a little bit more courageous and fearless in sharing my own faith?" Now, let me tell you this. Being fearless and courageous does not mean taking this book and shoving it down a person's throat and going, Here, you need some of this. That's not fearless. That's not courageous. You know what that is? That's obnoxious. That's what that is. It's obnoxious. Courage is a deep conviction that says... I have to show and tell others of Christ's love because of everything that he's done for me. Now, sometime this week, I'd like you to take this card and to do a random act of kindness. This card's in your program, so if you open up your program real quick, it's there. If you don't have one, just raise your hand. We have uh, folks right here that can get them to you real quick, but uh, this is worth the price of admission. Just raise your hand. They'll get them to you. They're right back there. But all this simply says is this is a simple way of saying that God loves you, no strings attached. And you can actually take this and do some random act of kindness in a courageous, fearless way and show God's love in a powerful way. I mean, most of you have tomorrow off. So you only have four days. So you have one day to do this. Okay, now, what are some of the things that you could do? Well, first of all, you could pay for the person's uh, food behind you at a drive-thru. Many of you like drive-thru. You go to drive throughs often. So if you're there, why not pay for the person behind you? Now, you might want to ask them, how much does it cost first? You know, I don't know. Some of you may not have as much faith, you know, to just say, hey, I'll do it. But uh, just pay for the person behind you. And then you impact this person because you're going to tell the, the uh, person at the window, hey, could you give this to them? And you talk about impact, I've seen it happen multiple times. Now, there's also something you could do, is you could mow your neighbor's yard. It's crazy, and, and your neighbor, maybe they need their yard mowed. Now, for some of you, you're horrible at mowing yards. So if you are, don't mow your neighbor's yard. That will make them mad. Okay. But if you're good at it, mow their yard. Watch their kids Take a co-worker out for lunch. You could do anything that you could imagine just to show God's love practically to someone. And you could do it. So, the first joy killer is suffering. The second one is people. Aren't people joy killers sometimes? Huh? Oh, you don't have any of those. Oh, okay. Yeah, people are some of the biggest. In fact, more often than not, what I've found is it's not the circumstances that kills my joy, but it's the people who are causing those circumstances that kill my joy. And Paul definitely understood this, and you and I do as well. In verse 15, we read this. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. Let's look at that first bolded word. Envy. What does that mean? Envy means to rob others of what is rightfully theirs. Here's the word that's the same word. Think about this. This word envy is the exact same word that was described of the Jewish leaders who took Jesus to the cross. It said, out of envy... They crucified Jesus. It was their envy for Jesus that took his life. It's very, very unhealthy, folks, for you to live with envy. Envy can be a very unhealthy thing. But I bet you've seen it in your own heart when it comes to work. You go to work, someone gets a promotion, and you're like, that should have been me! I can't believe they got that promotion. I've worked harder than them. They never take overtime. They're one of the biggest complainers I know. And they got the raise. Or your neighbor. Your neighbor pulls up in a brand new Lexus. And you're like, are you serious? Here I am. I'm working my tail off. I'm doing everything I can. And they're in this car. And I've got this old clunker over here. What's up with that? Or it's even worse than the church when you see another Christ follower and they get some affirmation or maybe the pastor or one of the staff are like, oh, great job. We really appreciate what you're doing. And you're standing right beside him. You're like, are you serious? I'm the one that set up all these chairs today. And you're talking about that bozo in Jesus name. Now, I've had envy myself, so I understand it. When I went to a seminary to work on my master's at Anderson University, there was a, a guy there who was in my Old Testament class. He was starting a brand new church, something that I thought about doing, but after I got out of seminary. This was year one. And uh, his church plant was so successful that he had to quit seminary. And he was telling me about all the excitement, people coming to Christ and all this kind of thing. And all the time I'm thinking, that should be me. That should be me. God, I'm better than him in this and this and this. Why isn't that me? And God really humbled me in that period of my life. And this is what I sensed. I was looking at my journal this week. This is what I sensed him saying during that time. Chris, if you can't celebrate the successes of other people in Christianity, then I'll never be able to honor your request to start a church. You're like, ah. Oh. But it's so right. It's so right. Folks, be careful not to fall into the trap of envy. Because it was what caused Jesus to die. And it can cause issues between you and your coworkers, you and your neighbors, you and your family you and Christ's followers. Now, the second bolded word that's there is the word rivalry. Rivalry. What's that refer to? Well, that refers to ladder climbers or career Christians. They use their service to help themselves. In other words, they go around doing all these things because they want people to come up and go, attaboy, boy, you're such a good Christian. Oh my goodness, you're so good. You're good. And instead of serving what we have a tendency to do with rivalry is we want other people to acknowledge us and to affirm us. And all of a sudden, when there are people around you that aren't affirming or acknowledging you, especially in the church, you know what happens? People go, I'm leaving the church. I'm leaving the church. Pastor, did you see he didn't even say hi to me? He was walking by, didn't even say hi. I was walking somewhere and he did not even say hi. And he doesn't recognize all the things that I do. I'm leaving. Well, that's not what God wants not what he wants. God wants us to be humble, willing to be second place followers. Yesterday, uh, I took my family to Morningstar Bread Basket, which is a a ministry that helps people who are poverty stricken with a, a meal and then some food. And so my girls are eight and 10, and they're serving all of these people. And this is the job that I got. We had tomatoes that some of them had gone bad. And I had to take these carts and uh, kind of fold them up. And I had to take the bad, nasty tomatoes with my bare hands and take them all the way to the back and throw them away. And I'll tell you what. You talk about second place. I was second place. I was third place. I had the worst job that whole day. But you know what God was teaching me in the midst of that? When you do that, Chris, you're not worried about rivalry. You're not worried about envy. You're worried about honoring me, and that's the key that Paul said was key in this scripture. Now, verse 18. Uh, hold on. Verse 17. Let's go to that real quick. Verse 17 says this: The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supporting that they can, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Have you ever had this experience before where people come up to you and they tell you that because of your past sin or because of something that you're currently doing, that's why you're suffering. The reason you're suffering, the reason you're going through, whatever it is you're going through, is because God is not happy with that sin in your life. Has anyone ever experienced that before? Huh? Yeah. Now sometimes... The things that we do that cause sin actually do cause consequence to our lives. But sometimes some things happen that there's no reason why. It just happens. Life happens. And when those things happen and we're suffering from that because of what people are doing maybe to us, those are the times that we can grow in our faith and grow in joy and we can use those tools actually to help other people. But always be careful, folks, of people who want to tell you why you're going through what you're doing. Because they don't know. And many times what happens, people project onto you whatever it is so that you feel horrible in the midst of whatever you're going through. And Paul understood this. This is why he says this. Some are just trying to stir up trouble, lift up untruths to discourage me. Well, Paul was clear that there are joy killers in life because some people simply have bad motives, but he also said, it's not all people. Now, verse 16, we'll flip back. It says this, the latter do so out of love. What do they do? They share Christ. They share the gospel, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Now, what kind of. Of love is Paul referring to here. He's referring to love for people. All people. Because people matter to God. I mean, folks, I don't know if you realize this or not, but in heaven, there's only going to be one major commodity. Does anyone know what that is? People. Some guy in the first celebration said joy. It's like, no, that's not it. The number one commodity, folks, that's going to be in heaven is people. Our people. And Paul is talking here about this kind of love, a love for people. Now, the second part of this verse says this, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. In other words, Paul is saying, the reason that I'm placed here in jail and I'm chained to a guard is because I have this assignment from Almighty God. Folks, what great faith you have when you are going through suffering and people are putting you down and talking behind your back that even in the midst of that you can say that God has a purpose even for this. And then in the midst of it, you say, I'm going to be an overcomer. I'm going to have this overcoming choice in which I will say this. I will choose joy over what people think or say or do. Regardless of what people are saying, regardless of the noise that I'm hearing, I'm going to choose joy over what people think or say or do. Well, Paul is pretty clear that he doesn't find his joy in people. Whether people are praising him, where to he go, Paul? Where'd he go? Whoa, 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 good job, Paul. Or they're putting him down and saying, Paul, you're a loser. He's like, I do not find my joy in what people think, say, or do. Verse 18. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue. To rejoice. You know, there's a, a lot of joy that is all around us all the time of messages of Christ that sometimes we just don't recognize. You know, many times, since I'm a pastor, people will try to put me in a corner and they'll ask me these open ended questions like, What do you think about this church over here in the community? Or, What do you think about this church over here? Or what do you think about this denomination? Or what do you think about that denomination? What do you think about the Baptists? What do you think about the Pentecostals? What do you think about the Catholics? And people will try to get me in there. And Then sometimes they'll name people. They'll say, I saw this article about this pastor in the Star Press. What do you think about that? And what do you think about this pastor over here? And what do you think about that pastor over there? And what about those TV pastors? What do you think about Joel Steen? What do you think about Joyce Meyer? What do you think? And all of a sudden, they're giving me all these things. And this is what I would suggest. If you ever have that ask of you, don't respond back. Just ask them questions. These are the questions I usually ask. Do they believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Well, well, yeah. Okay. And uh, do they believe that like he's the only way to the Father through heaven is through Christ? Is that true? Uh, Yeah. Well, do you find them to be generous people who want to show God's love? And Well, I don't know them. I just know about them. I don't know them. I just know about them. Okay. Well, this is what I would tell you. I'm for them! Anyone who is for Christ and living a life for Him, I am for them. Now, some of you are sitting there and you've had bad church experiences. And you might be asking, well, does that mean we have to be for everyone? No. I'm not for people who have a legalistic gospel, who try to weigh people down with guilt and all kinds of rules and rituals and regulations. I'm not for that kind of gospel. I'm not for a religious gospel that's all about religion and not a relationship. I'm not about a works righteous gospel that you need to just work, work, work and do all these things and that'll get you closer to God. I'm not for that. But if it's just a matter of method, whether they... You know, sing out of a hymn, or they wear a robe, or if they're charismatic and they're flipping through the aisles one way or the other. By the way, you should realize this. They're going to be in heaven. So some of you need to flip a little bit, okay? It's like flip over your chair sometimes. People will be like, holy cow, the Holy Spirit just went right into that person. Look at or if they're liturgical and they're very quiet and they just have a liturgy, they're, they're saying things, all those things are going to be heaven. So we better be for those people here on this side of heaven. We're all on the same team, folks. We're all on the same team. And regardless of what people say, think, or do, we will be for people who are for Christ. Last thing that is a joy killer, an uncertain future. An uncertain future. Sometimes it's suffering. Sometimes it's other people. Sometimes it's the fear of the future. And Paul had some thoughts about these, about future and not to allow the joy killer of an uncertain future to take over. And he gives kind of like six things, just kind of rapid fire style. These are all in your program, so you don't have to write them down. But here's the first one. Suffering is only temporary. Suffering is only temporary. Paul says this I will continue to rejoice, for I know. And what this phrase, I know, means is that I'm certain of it. That I know, that I know, that I know, that I know. This is what I know. That through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Now, does this mean that Paul thinks, hey, I'm going to get out of prison? Does this mean that, oh, Paul's like, oh, I think I'm going to not be executed? This is what this means. I don't know how God's going to get me out of this, but at whatever way he chooses to do it, it's going to be okay. And because of that, I know that my suffering is only temporary. Folks, the next time you're going through something, and some of you are going through something today, where you're suffering... In a very difficult way, you need to be reminded of this. It's only a season. For example, we're getting ready to go into summer here pretty soon. The summer season. But summer won't last forever. Some of you wish it would, but it's not going to. There'll be another season. And if you're suffering right now, folks, it's just a season. It's only temporary. Here's a second encouragement. Living brings honor to Christ. Paul says this, I eagerly expect and hope that I will... In no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Here, Paul is like, I know the details, but whether it is life or death, Christ is going to be exalted. That's what's most important, that he's lifted up, and I'm not going to be ashamed to share that. So here's a question for you this week. How are you going to honor Christ this week? Not the person beside you, but you yourself. How are you going to honor Christ this week? Third thing, dying brings gain. Dying brings gain. Paul's kind of like, hey, since we're on the subject of living and dying, let me just go a little bit further, and this is what he says. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is, what's it say? Gain. Folks, that's what all of the future is there. So, Paul, what do you think about the future? Gain. Well, okay, okay. What do you think about the next few days? Gain. Well, what do you kind of think about the future that's coming up? Gain. Paul is like, there's really no reason to lose my joy because... Up ahead of me, I win. But Paul, but Paul, but Paul, what if you die? I win. No, 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 no. Paul, 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 Paul. Wait, wait, wait. What if you live? I win. Is that why you always seem to be kind of chipper and have joy in your life? Because whether you live or die, there's gain. You win. Yep, that's it. Folks, living brings honor to Christ and dying brings gain. So what is the gain? The encouragement, number four, is this. Heaven is just around the corner. Heaven is just around the corner. Now, Bunch, what do you know so much about heaven? Well, let me tell you this. This is not what heaven is. Sitting on a cloud playing a harp. Dude, if heaven's like that, don't take me because I don't want to go. I don't like sitting. the idea of sitting on a cloud and I don't like the idea of harps. Either one. And the streets of gold, that's not what it's all about. And it's not just about going to church all the time and praising God. What is it? You know what heaven is? It's phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. It's big, it's beautiful, it's abundant. So much so that no human being can ever understand fully or grasp how amazing heaven is going to be for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Let me tell you about heaven. In the first five seconds, all your sins erased. Every sin you've ever committed, erased. Now, let's add all of your happiness in a jar, okay? From your life. All happiness in the first five seconds in heaven all your happiness on earth eclipsed, totally eclipsed. And when you get to heaven, somebody somebody might come up to you and be like, "Well, how's it going so far?" You know what you're gonna do? You're just gonna sit there like this. Or you're gonna go, "Phenomenal, phenomenal." And then a little bit later, someone might come up to you and say, "Well, you know, what is the worst thing you ever did in your life?" I don't remember. I don't remember. Well, why? Because God has amnesia. And when you get to heaven, it's phenomenal. And He doesn't remember the past. And then, someone might ask you: well, how good is heaven? It's the best I've ever experienced. Because this is the truth, folks. In the first five seconds, that's just the first five seconds that I just told you about. That's just the first five seconds. Now multiply that times forever, and that's what you're going to experience. And it's just around the corner. So Paul gets the next encouragement. He says, living means fruitful labor. Verse 22 says, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. He's like, if I keep on living, then, man, I want to be able to share Christ with other people because this time here on earth is so short and it might be 70 or 80 or 90 years. It's just like one grain of sand and your life in heaven is like all the other grains of sand. And so Paul's like, I don't want to leave earth because I want to share Christ with so many people of my friends and family who don't know them. Then in verse 23, it says, I am torn between the two. Paul's like, I'm torn between living or dying and going. If I live, I get to share Christ with more people. But if I die, then I immediately go into the hands of God. And he said, I'm joyful with both choices. Then Paul opens up his heart. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. You know, sometimes people are afraid to talk about what happens after life because we've been led to believe you go somewhere, you go way up there and you have a planet and you're with your planet or you go to purgatory and you just stay there and you just are in chains and bad stuff until you've done enough good stuff that they could happen. You know what that kind of thinking is, folks? Cry, cry. That is crazy talk. That's what that is. It is crazy talk. There is nothing in the Bible that says that. Folks, when you depart from this place, you know what happens? If you know Christ, you immediately... Come into his presence. How do we know this? When Jesus is on the cross and he's ready to die between two thieves, he looks at one of the thieves and this is what he says. Well, I'm going to have to look at your credentials and see whether or not you've actually kind of done some things. And those bad things that you've done, we're going to have to take a few days, me and the council of heaven, to determine whether or not you're going to be able to come in. Is that what Jesus said? This is the proper response right now. Like this. No. You know what Jesus said? Today, you will be with me in paradise. Today. And how much better is paradise? It's phenomenal. I can't even come close to talking about it. Then finally, verse 24. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And the encouragement that Paul gives is living and dying benefits you. Paul realized that if I die, I win. If I live, I win. And he made this choice. It's an overcoming choice that he made. And it's this I will choose joy over the fear of an uncertain future. I'll choose joy. Folks, here's the bottom line. Paul decided this. He said, I'm not going to lose my joy over anything, anything whatsoever. Because at the end, I win. Now, question for you real quick. Big intellectual question at the end of this all. What is this? An extension cord. Now, what I'd like you to imagine right now that this is your life. And the reason that we use our life is so that we can get plugged in to power. Did you realize you can plug into anything in this world? You can plug into anything that you want. But the thing that will give you the greatest amount of power and joy in your life is when you plug into Christ. And this is why it happens. When you plug into Christ, all of a sudden, joy comes directly into your life. It doesn't mean that all of the circumstances of your life are going to be happy and good. But regardless of what it is, you're reminded that God is in control of the details of my life and that ultimately everything's going to be all right. So I will choose to praise him regardless of the situation. And so we plug in. Now let me show you something. Secondly, does anyone know what this is? This is called hell for parents. That's what this is called. This is a child protector. And when my kids were real little, we were freaking out. So we had these everywhere. And now they know not to put their fingers in these places. But you know what's happened? We can't get them out. <laughs> They're so stuck in there after years. You're like trying. I was trying yesterday. I couldn't get it out. I just still this one from the why. Forgive me, God. I'll give it back. But you know what these are right here? These are joy killers. Suffering. People. Unknown future. And all of a sudden they're in there. And we can't plug into the greatest power that you and I want, which is the relationship with Christ. So here's my challenge for you this week. Do whatever you can to get rid of these. If it's suffering, and say, hey, I'm not going to let suffering kill my joy. If it's other people and they're there, remove these, remove them, let them go. Say, no, 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 no. I'm going to plug into Jesus because He is the greatest power source for me. And then I remember, I remember this. That joy is the assurance that God is in control. Of the details of my life. And that ultimately everything's going to be okay. So I will choose to praise Him in every situation. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up right now. If you'd like prayer for anything, they'd love to pray with you. And I'm going to invite you to stand for closing prayer right now. And uh, if you'd like prayer for anything, they'd pray with you. If today's your day, maybe you've never plugged into Christ, you came on Memorial Day because someone asked... And today you want to get that thing done, come up here to one of these folks and they would love to lead you through a prayer, give you a Bible, celebrate your decision today. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. And we thank you, God, that even when the joy killers of life come, that we will not Give in to them. That when suffering comes, when what other people are thinking and saying about us, when our fear of what the future would be, when those things come, God, we will not give in. We will have an overcoming choice of joy. And so, God, I pray that you would be with your people this week, that they'd take that little card to do a random act of kindness, regardless of what it is, so that their lives could be filled with more joy. And God, that they could walk through this week, knowing that you are present with them, and that you love to help them to overcome joy killers. God, be with each person here. Meet them at their greatest need. And bless them, we pray, for Christ's sake. Amen. Hey, have a great week. Know you're loved in this place. If you can help tear down with anything, that'd be great. Thanks.